Good morning. If you would like to read along with me, uh, the passage this morning is in Genesis chapter 22, 2 through 18. Okay. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. One of the mountains, as to one of the mountains I will show you, or I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and tied his, untied his donkey and saddened in his heart. He took him with two of the servants and his son Isaac. When he had um, cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set, for the, um, set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with a donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he said, um, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the palace, God had told him about Abraham. Let's see. Sorry. It says, when they reached the, the place where God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, you have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That, uh, that's one of the weirdest stories, in my opinion, as you, as you read through it. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, if you don't know me, I am, I'm Dan Habits. I'm an elder here at Philida Bible. I'm also on our preaching team, and I do some teaching as well uh, during the second hour. Um, and today we're, we're going to be looking at how uh, Jesus is greater than Isaac, um, and we'll get to that shortly. Uh, but, but first I want to talk about uh, anticipation, like how you guys are anticipating me getting to my points. Uh, no, the anticipation of like an event or something that's coming, something that's, that's going to happen, something long awaited. 
And, uh, I mean, you sit there and you wait for it and you wait for it. And it finally comes and you're just, you're enveloped in the, in the joy and the happiness and everything that's going on there. And then maybe something else that comes along and maybe sours that experience. Real life sets in or maybe the, uh, the thing you had planned, the thing you had uh, been longing for doesn't turn out the way you thought it would. It's still good, but it's, there's just something that, that, that tweaks it, that brings it down. Um, it's some kind of reality that needs to be addressed in this situation. Uh, in, in my experience, uh, I'll, I'll give just a, a glimpse of uh, life with my wife. Um, we very much love going to see a good show. Uh, Broadway in Portland does, you know, they bring their musicals in and whatnot. So uh, we had always said that if Phantom of the Opera was coming to town, we were going to get tickets. And I love my wife. She's a budgeter. And she, she had, I mean, we're talking, we, we talked about it, but she had set money aside before we knew it was even coming to buy these tickets, right? So the anticipation is here. And then she gets an email, and it's coming. Phantom of the Opera is going to be coming to the Keller Auditorium. And we're like, yes, we are going to go see Phantom. And she buys it. She, the show is in July, right? She buys them in what? Was it winter? Yes, like December or January, months beforehand. We have these tickets, and we've got them printed off, and they're on the refrigerator, and we're like, we're going to see the show. We're going to see it, finally, and we're talking about it for months on end. How, you know, what are these sets going to look like? Man, I really hope the guy uh, playing the Phantom has a good, strong voice. I hope the acting is done well. All these things were just... We're building it up in our minds. We want it to be so good. And uh, finally, you know, time marches on. We've used it as a point of reference in time. Like, hey, when we go to such and such, are we doing that before Phantom or after Phantom? This is how, are you guys getting how much we anticipated this? Like, here's Phantom and stuff is happening here and here and we're going to orient our lives around that, right? So July finally comes. Right? It's the week of, and we're anticipating it. And we're, oh, it's going to be good. And the day comes. And we had arranged for our daughter Autumn to have a, a sleepover. So it's like we can have the night. It's good. Uh, we planned out dinner. So we go into Portland, which we're both big fans of. It's, <laughs> no, I, I don't like driving into Portland. It's just not my personality. But uh, we, we have dinner. We eat dinner. We get to the Keller. We're, we, we take pictures outside, standing in front of signs that are on window. It's, this is the type of thing, like we are enjoying it. We, we get into the lobby where you wait some more, and there's more pictures that we take. And then finally the doors open, and everybody floods in, and we get to our seats, and, and we look up, and we're like, oh, there's the chandelier. We're going to see it fall, and all this other stuff. And um, we're, we are ready for this to happen. We, we talked to the two ladies that were sitting behind us. They were friends that had been coming every time it comes. They're in the Keller watching it, so we're ready to have this shared experience, and, uh, and the show plays, and it is amazing, and if I keep talking about it, I think I, this sermon can officially be sponsored by the Broadway in Portland series, so I'm, you know, any representatives here? No? Okay, fine. None, but it is a good show. Now, before it started, even when we were talking with the ladies behind us, uh, as any good theater viewer goes and does, we grabbed our cell phones and we turned them off. Just, we don't want any interruptions during this, right? 
So it's in our pockets. The show gets done. It's awesome. We're just, oh, this is fantastic. Everybody's piling out and getting back to their cars. And we finally, we finally get back to our car, uh, to our van. It's in the, the parking stall that's the size of a postage stamp. This is why I love big cities. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know how to get out of here because it doesn't matter that I've been here five, ten times before. I still can't get out of Portland because I live in Vancouver. Um, I just stink at driving in Portland. So I get my phone on, I, out and I turn it back on. Uh, now, I did anticipate having a couple. It was a Friday night. So I anticipated a couple of messages from my friends, text messages and whatnot. Uh, one or two at most. My phone starts up. It gets going. And then two messages. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Three, four messages and a voicemail. And they're all from the same person. They're all from my mom. And my mom knows what we're doing. She knows where we're going. So there's only one real reason my mom would call. So I read through the texts and I listen to the phone message and I call my mom and it's about my dad who had been, uh, at that time, he was in a, a rehab place and he uh, ended up going to the hospital that night. Uh, not just the hospital, but he then had, he had a breathing tube in uh, his throat and uh, he was not expected to make it much past that. My dad had entered his last days. So in this, we had anticipated a joyful time and we're there and we had a great time. Um, long story short, Cindy ended up driving home that night. We ended up at the hospital, um, and it was my dad's last days. Um, uh, we ended up saying uh, goodbye to him uh, about shortly after that. But uh, in that, there's this this cycle. So that's, I don't mean to bring the entire room down, but that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. With that, with that's how life works, right? Mine is an extreme example. I'm sure you have your extreme examples, but also we have these smaller examples. And uh, go ahead. This is, the, uh, this is the rotation we see. We have anticipation, a joyful experience, a painful experience, then anticipation, joy, and we just keep going in a circle. It's just kind of how life moves, and we, and we learn to operate within that. Um, so we know that some way we each experience this cycle and in different degrees, varying degrees and whatnot. Um, and my dad is with the Lord now. Uh, he did have uh, his faith in Christ, so I, I, I rest knowing that he is with his Savior. And I... I was able to get through painful experiences. I'm still working through a lot of stuff, but I know that uh, God is with me during all of this. So uh, this cycle right here, by the way, this has uh, been going on for a very long time. It's, uh, it's nothing new to us. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we see that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and it was formless and void, and then God starts creating. He creates light and dark. And then he separates the, the waters, you know, the sky and the sea. And then he brings forth dry land. And then he makes the sun, moon, and stars. And the next day, uh, he puts um, birds in the air and fish in the sea. And on the sixth day, 
He creates all the land animals and finally ending with creating humanity, um, man, man and woman. And in that, it, is, it says it is, God looked at everything he had made, everything that he had done, and he said it is very good. Bing! I don't know where anticipation comes into this. This is more for humans. But uh, it was there. This is a joyful experience, right? And, and God lays down uh, some, some rules for the first humans, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, and he says, hey, eat of anything you want, any tree of the garden. The fruit is yours to have. Just don't eat of that one. And we get duped right? The snake comes in um, and, and tricks us. Did God really say this? And, you know, while Eve was the one to, to say, well, God said this and that and took the fruit, Adam's standing there hearing the whole thing. And she's like, here you go. And he's like, thanks. <laughs> he eats it and, and death happens. Sin has entered the world. We uh, humanity chose to decide what is good and what is evil. We decided to take that place that God had. So here we have this uh, perfect relationship with God, this good thing that we had, and through, um, through foolishness, we choose to ruin that relationship. And God... Uh, he, 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 the world is cursed because of it. We experience death because of it. We see decay because of it. And it looks bad. But in the midst of that, in that, even in that cursing, God says, he gives a promise. He says, one will come uh, who will crush the head of the serpent, but his, uh, his heel will be bruised. So he, we're, we're looking at this point, if you're, I mean, if you're reading through Genesis, okay, now you're looking for this guy to show up, this, this promised person that God said, hey, we're going to get back into right relationship. It's going to be good. Keep an eye out. That's the Dan Abbott's paraphrase. Keep an eye out. And so we start going through the stories in Genesis, and you see Abel, and Abel does something cool, but Abel isn't the guy that saves. You see Noah. Noah's not the guy that saves, even though he did some really awesome stuff. You have Abraham gets called out, and you're like, huh, maybe? No, he's not the guy. Um, and we've gone through, in this series, the Jesus is Greater series, we've looked at those people who have pointed forward to who the ultimate um, satisfaction of that promise is. It is Jesus. Spoil alert. Uh, Sunday school answer. Jesus. Uh, it is Jesus, but we've been looking at, okay, so why is Jesus greater than this person? What is it about Jesus that makes them greater? And today we are, like I said, we're looking at Isaac. And we're seeing what makes uh, Jesus greater than Isaac. So uh, we're going to look at two similarities between Isaac and Jesus. What, um, what makes them similar, and then we'll talk about what makes uh, Jesus greater by far than Isaac. First similarity that uh, you may or may not know, both Jesus and Isaac, or Isaac and Jesus, if you want to put it chronologically, doesn't matter. Both of them uh, are sons of promise. Both Jesus and Isaac are sons of promise. Now, uh, the Bible says that Abraham and Sarah were well advanced in years. That's the polite way of saying they were old. 
They are well past it. In fact, it is, it is made uh, known to us that they are well past the time of bearing children. And yet, God has called Abraham out. He's made this promise that uh, he would be a great nation. And, and you see God do all this amazing stuff with, uh, with Abraham uh, and protecting him and blessing him. I mean, his, his possessions, like he is uh, blessed uh, monetarily and with all this stuff. So he is like, it's not just Abraham and Sarah walking around. It's like an entourage. We're talking just people, cattle, everything are going into areas. Abraham is doing well. And there is a place where um, he rescues, I believe it's when he rescues his uh, nephew Lot, not uncommon for Abraham to do, um, that he, he gets to thinking, he's coming back from this battle, and he gets to thinking, like, I'm getting old, man. I was, I was promised something, and I'm just not seeing it. And he has this very real conversation with God, a very real conversation. He's like, he says, I'm very old, and this servant of mine who's here is going to inherit everything I have. I have no son to give the, uh, my things to. And this is uh, God's reply in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. He says, This man will not be your heir, this servant, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. So God reiterates the promise to him. It's not just going to be this guy that's going to make it great. It will be your own son who will do it. And then you, you see Abraham and Sarah try and do some stuff. I'm going to skip a few chapters, but he has a son, but it's not with Sarah, who is where the, um, the promise is coming from. So you get to chapter 18, and uh, you see God telling Abraham, he comes and visits him again, and everything, and, and in chapter 18, God says, in one year's time, you will have the son. Sarah, you will have a son by Sarah, and that's the promised son that you're going to have. And wouldn't you know it, a year later, Isaac's born. Um, yeah, so that, that is the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham that he would have a son from Sarah. So God has promised this, boom, here he is. Likewise, we have a promise of Jesus' birth. Now there are tons of uh, prophecies in the Old Testament about this. I'm only going to highlight one. The first one is back in Genesis that we talked about this, this one who would uh, crush the serpent's head. Uh, the next one we're going to look at is actually in Isaiah. Uh, there are a few there, but I want to focus in on this one in particular. And Isaiah is prophesying about this one who is going to come. Um, Israel is in a very bad place, uh, just yeah, it's, it's bad for them, but this prophecy is meant to give them hope. And these are the words of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. He says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And then this is kind of like the, the seal. Like this is how you know this will get done. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Now I don't know about you, 
But if, I'm gonna, if there's something I really want to do, I mean, I put, I put everything into stuff I really, really want to do. I'll grit and bear it through stuff I don't want to do. But if it's something I am passionate about, it is going to get done. This tells us that God is passionate about this happening. He will make it happen. So let's jump forward a few hundred years, possibly a thousand, I don't remember. But now we're in Luke chapter 1. This is the gospel of Luke the story of Jesus here. And you have an angel coming to visit a girl named Mary. And she's freaked out, as anyone would be if you're just doing your daily life and, hey, an angel. The angel says this, starting in uh, verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Listen to this. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, of Israel, forever, and his kingdom will never end. Sound familiar? So here we have this immediate promise. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary. She conceives supernaturally. And, and Jesus is born. And we get a uh, great holiday out of it. We can celebrate. <laughs> but he, he is the son of promise. And he, he is so much more than just a man. He is not... He is not Joseph's son. He is God's son born through Mary. I don't have enough time uh, to, to elaborate on that, but it is worth looking into just that alone. So in this, also, we have, uh, in these verses pertaining to Isaac and to Jesus, uh, both are born out of a promise made by God, and they are both unique individuals. Um. You heard when Chris was reading the, the phrase, your son, your only son. Uh, in, in John 3.16, it's uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You hear this phrase, only son. Well, okay, I can get it maybe with Jesus. That one's a little easier to explain. But with Isaac, Isaac wasn't Abraham's only son. I mean, there was Ishmael. I mean, Ishmael was like 13 by the time Isaac came around. So what's up with that? It's actually um, poor translation on English parts. Uh, it, it is a unique, a specific, a, is it monogenes? Is that the word? Yeah. There's a Greek word for you. Uh, but it is a uniquely, a uh, unique individual. One, one might even say a holy son, someone set apart. There's something about this individual. So this is what Isaac is. Isaac is this unique son of Abraham. Uh, Jesus is the, the only unique son of God, um, fully God, fully man on that one. So uh, on that, that is what, is, is what I mean when I say son of promise. This is what is going on here. So we have this anticipation for something good, for this son to come, and we've got this. So um, this child's going to be born because God says it is. 
they, yeah, they are both born. That's a good thing. And um, Abraham and Sarah raised their son Isaac, and they, they are enjoying that. They are having good with that. Mary and Joseph then raise Jesus and their other children that they end up having. And uh, I can only think that, I mean, they just, they had your normal everyday life, ups and downs, but it was good. God's promise was fulfilled. The anticipation is over. The joyous moment begins. You're living life as you should. And then uh, we come to the second, um, the second similarity between Isaac and Jesus. And this similarity is sacrifice. Second similarity is sacrifice. I'm very sure that both Isaac and Jesus received love from their parents, that good gifts were given them. Um, Both grew up in that joy and that love. Um, I want to focus on Isaac for a minute here. As we uh, think about that passage that Chris read in Genesis 22 that we we contemplated. And I'm going to ask that you use... um, Some people call it a sanctified imagination. I just want you to think, imagine, close your eyes if that helps. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Abraham for a moment. God has worked mightily in your life. You have been blessed beyond belief. You have been promised a son. You have been given the promised son. And then God comes to you and says, I want you to sacrifice that son. I want you to go to the place that I show you, and there I want you to sacrifice your son to me. This is not unusual in that culture that that Abraham was going through. Child sacrifice happened. I'm not trying to justify anything, but this is something that, that the God of Abraham has never asked before. And here we have it. And Abraham sets out to do it. He goes on this camping trip, as I'm calling it, with his son. All right, now switch over to Isaac. You've grown up. You've heard the stories. Oh, yeah, God did this for us. God did that for us. God promised that you would be born to us, and you were. It's fantastic. It's great. And now, hey, son, come on, we're going on a trip. Yes, going on a trip with Dad. Going to go camping. The servant's coming. They load up the donkey. They get going. Um, Isaac knows all these stories. Maybe we'll uh, you know, probably sacrifice, do some worship to God. This will be good. And they get three days out from you know, where they were at the time. And, uh, and you hear your dad go to the servants, hey, you guys hang here. We're going to go up and worship God. Sweet, nothing new. We've worshiped God before. This is awesome. And your dad starts you know, putting the bundle of sticks there on your back and he's got a knife and he's got some fire and you guys start walking a little ways from the servant as Isaac, I mean, you're just looking around going, wait a minute. One, two. Hey, Dad? Yeah? Uh, where's the lamb? Uh, it's, uh, it's cool, son. God will provide the lamb. Dan Abbott's paraphrase. But it's there, right? Um, he hears his dad, who has the knife and the fire, say, don't worry, God will provide the lamb. Okay, and, you're st- and now you're standing there as Isaac, and you're watching your dad set up this altar, build it, and he's like, hey, can I have the sticks? You're like, sure, here you go, and he takes the wood, and he puts it on there, and he's like, okay, um, and he starts binding you up. 
And we don't have, uh, I mean, in that narrative, we don't, we didn't read that and Isaac struggled or Isaac fought back or, or even that Isaac was just complacent with it. We don't know exactly what Isaac was doing, but we do know that Abraham bound his son and placed him on the altar. He bound his son, placed him on the altar. And then he starts reaching for the knife. I, I heard that I was a son of promise, that, that God did all these great things, and now I'm here on an altar. I'm, I'm going to get killed. Talk about some harsh reality. Where's, where's God in this? Bring it to yourself today. Maybe not uh, an Abraham-Isaac situation, but is there a situation in your life where, God, it was supposed to be different than this? It, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't, I mean, it was good at the beginning, but now here we are, and I don't know if I like where, where we're headed Work with me on this one, truthfully. I want you to take your hands. I want you to hold them like this in front of you. And uh, you can just look straight at your hands. Cup them in front of yourself. And just imagine whatever the situation is, right there in your hands. And you're looking at it objectively. And you have all your thoughts, all your emotions about that situation. You're looking at it. Maybe it's, maybe it's pain you feel, maybe it's hurt, maybe anger or betrayal, um, maybe sorrow. But it's, it's, not, it's not what you thought it would be. Just hold it and look at it. Bring it to mind. I want you to, to keep holding that. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know you fear, uh, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Isaac in that instance was not the sacrifice. Nor was he the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Adam and Eve at the beginning. 
A substitution was made in that moment. And a ram died that day instead of Isaac. And I have no doubt that Isaac actually heard those words from God. That he heard that promise that God gave to his father. And he knows that he's the, he's the one that it, uh, this is going to be fulfilled through. So with that tension, whether or not you're still holding it in your hands, well, you could set it aside if you are, uh, you're still feeling that, though, in that life situation. So when Isaac, uh, Isaac went on a trip with his father, and that's what happened. And uh, we know through the Gospels that are given to us that Jesus was sent on mission by his father. So it's not a trip with his father, but he is sent on mission by his father. And he lived a perfect life. And later in the story of Isaac and his descendants, you get Jacob, they become the nation of Israel, and the law is given to, to them to, to hold, to show this is what needs to happen. Uh, to be made right with God. And here's the fun part of the law. Nobody can do it. What it shows us is that we're broken, that we can't uphold that law, that we cannot be made right with God. And that is a harsh reality. That is rough. So when I say Jesus lived a perfect life, I mean... He lived a perfect life. He upheld the law perfectly. And he had many, many followers in the three years of ministry that he did. And uh, the, the next piece we're going to look at here is, is he's celebrating Passover, the deliverance from Egypt that the Israelites experienced. He's celebrating Passover and he's doing it with his close friends, uh, with the, the closest 12 followers that he has. And we're going to catch up after that meal that he has with them. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching that place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Isaac wondered where the lamb was. Jesus knew who the lamb was. He knew he was that sacrifice. And this is one of the, it's an encouragement to me, but this has got to be one of the hardest experiences that Jesus has ever gone through to this point. I mean, he, the words are, in, are amazing. He knows what he needs to do. He's been telling his followers, as, they, as he kept getting closer to Jerusalem, the Son of Man must die so that, you know, all these things, so that he can be raised alive, so that right relationship can be brought in. And he gets to this moment, and he says, if you are willing, Father, take this cup from me. Like, he, it's, it's hard. 
It's going to hurt. I don't want to do it. And then he says some amazing words after that too. Not what I want, but what you want. He willingly goes to the cross. It's hard, but he knows it is the Father's will. That This is how, this is the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 1. He was in anguish and he prayed more earnestly. He is then arrested. Uh, Judas Iscariot comes and marks Jesus as the man that the soldiers are to arrest. They arrest him. They take him. He has a a trial that's uh, completely unjust. And we get to this point where he is convicted. I mean, even the Pontius Pilate's like, hey, who do you want? And they're, you know, who do you want freed? And they say, we want that criminal over there. And it's like, so what am I supposed to do with Jesus? And they're like, crucify him, kill him. We don't want him. Crucify him. And this is where we pick up in John 19. Finally, after all that, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And here they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Crucifixion is not a a quick death. It's not an electric chair kind of thing. It's not a lethal injection. It is a slow, agonizing process where you suffocate. And this is what Jesus is now experiencing. So he is now crucified. Some other events happen. And uh, we pick up in John again. It says, Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And they make this really nasty wine for him to drink. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Christ died. Jesus died. Spoilers. He doesn't stay dead. And we get to celebrate that uh, next week. But for now, this is where I want us to rest. This is not what we thought it would look like. The Messiah has come. The promised one who is going to crush the head of the serpent has come. This is the bruising of the heel. It looks like Satan won. It looks like God failed. Because on, on a cross, Jesus is hanging. And he's, die, he's died at this point. Where there was a ram to replace Isaac, Jesus wasn't spared. God gave up his only son, his unique son, so that we could be in right relationship with him. Jesus never sinned, but uh, scripture tells us that he bore the sin of all humanity on himself for that. This is why he's the ultimate promise uh, in being the unique son of God. Jesus, who is called the Christ, he is the fulfillment of God's promise to bring humanity back into right relationship. And Jesus is greater than Isaac because he is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that one day Isaac's descendants would bless all the nations.
So think of that tension that you've, you've had, that, that situation that I had you hold and think about. Where the anticipation and the joy have been soured. I talked about it earlier. The joy that I have is that I know my dad is with his Savior, that he is with Jesus. And in that, I have comfort. It's still hard. But I have comfort in that. Even in that tough trial, God has given us uh, a way to rely on him, knowing that Jesus has made it right through his death and his resurrection. If you're in that place where it seems like God has brought you to your knees, maybe it's because he did bring you to your knees. And you need to address what's going on there. You need to have a conversation with him. In the same way that that God has provided a ram to substitute Isaac, God has provided a lamb to substitute you to make your guys' relationship right. So where sin has separated you from being with God or separated me from being with God... I want you to hear these words. These are from John the Baptist when he's talking about who Jesus is. John 1, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father God, I thank you Thank you for the the gift of your son. I thank you that you were willing to do whatever it took to make our relationship good after we sought that power, after we sought to displace you from your throne. I thank you that you did not just wipe us out as you could have but that you, uh, you love us and are willing to do that. Jesus, I thank you for being that perfect sacrifice, for upholding the law, for being what humanity um, wasn't. I thank you for being, um, both being man and, and God and being able to do that well and modeling for us that uh, we can be in right relationship with the Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.